a very te- delicate and tricky balance, right? We want people to connect with nature, but then we have to take into account how many people there are on the planet. You know, how do you mitigate the fact that all these people then want to go to these wild spaces to see them and experience them because everyone should have the right to experience these amazing wild places, but how do you mitigate the impact of that when it happens? Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast, a modern huntsman production. I'm your host, Byron Pace, and this is episode 207. You are listening to the Living with Nature series presented by Swarovski Optic, where we ask our guests five questions about how they connect with nature. One of the ways many people do connect with nature is simply by observing. And as I learned from a very young age, to do this, you need good glass and good optics. For a full range of spotting scopes and binoculars, head over to swarovskioptic.com. I'll also stick a link in the description for the binoculars that I have been using for the last two years, which is the CL Companions in 8x30. And if you want to hear this series from the beginning, head back to episode 107 with Ben Lisdus from Swarovski Optic to hear about the premise of the series and what listeners can expect. In this episode, I chat with friend and a woman of many many talents, Sarah Roberts. She is a children's writer, a TV presenter, an environmental journalist, and has an incredible article coming out in the next volume of Modern Huntsman, all about sharks, which is due in the first half of 2022. So keep your eyes up for that and visit modernhuntsman.com for more information. But before we get to her world of living with nature, a shout out to the top tier Patreon supporters for this month who include Richard McNeil, Ronnie Speakman of RD Contracting, James Marchington, the guys at South Asher Stalking, Thomas Cameron, Mark Zabrowski, and Colin Knight. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash Byron Pace. And if you have any suggestions for guests or there's a particular series format that you have enjoyed, please let me know. Email info at paceproductionsuk.com. You can also follow what I am up to over on pretty much all the socials at Byron J. Pace. Sarah, welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. Well, welcome back to the Into the Wilderness podcast. But this is your first, uh, first time on the Living with Nature series. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I, I'm I probably sound a little bit uh, chesty compared to usual because of the change in seasons and the illnesses that that brings. But yeah, apart from that, at least that, you've not got hay fever yet. It's on its way, isn't it? It's <laughs> on its way. Now we we can't talk too much about this because uh, it's in an upcoming. It's going to be in, in an upcoming modern huntsman story. But we've been. I'm down here with you actually doing an in person podcast with you for the first time uh, because we've been shooting some stuff. You've been. In the water, surfing yep. for the yep. last couple of days. It's all your fault fun. that I sound hoarse, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I got on a surfboard for the first time. You did, you did. And, and your first time in the southwest of the country, which shocks yeah. me massively. I know. Well, I, I, it had, takes a lot to get me south of Hadrian's Wall. <laughs> well, I, I pulled out the big guns for you, didn't I? So yeah. hopefully we'll get you back. <laughs> it's been stunning. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to come back and... Uh, not necessarily be working and just come and learn to surf more. Yeah, barbecue, surf, sun. Sounds awesome. Yeah, what could go wrong? Which is all actually, I, I suppose, in some ways that doesn't answer the first question of this podcast series, but it is one of the ways that you connect with nature. So let, let's let's fire into the first question, which is, um, how do you connect with nature on a regular basis? 
Um, so I actually still uh, refer to it in the same way as I did as a kid, but generally playing out, I think. Playing out? Is that, Play, what, is playing that the, out. The, the general term that you use Absolutely. for being outside the front door? Y- yeah. Yeah. No, no. So so for, for me, that would include a little bit of a hit of newness, as we were saying. Yep. So, Why um, newness? Why newness? Because I think you are more aware of your surroundings. You make greater memories with that. You um, are put outside of your comfort zone and then you are hyper aware of the place and what's going on and the animals that are living there and and I think also it gives you a greater appreciation of the wildlife the ecosystems uh, and to so seek uh, out new experiences the fun, the fun that you can have there yeah. absolutely yeah so everything from um, we explored an old mine um, a while back uh, you know getting out on the water at Celtic Deep going uh, swimming with uh, sharks or whales if you're as lucky as we were um you know just and that's in this country isn't that's it? in this country <laughs> can you believe that i know scuba diving uh free diving but do you know what on a more general basis aside from all of that and you know surfing bits and bats i probably the most uh regular way um is probably walking the dog or it will be very very soon i think yeah, well too. this has uh your new addition to the household has taken up quite a lot of time in the last two days. He's sitting there. We can see him right now. He's sitting outside the back door. He's observing. What, yeah. what have you got? Uh, a Tamascan puppy. So he's uh, yeah, a little mini wolf who's busily chewing up chewing the house. Your door. Yeah, literally <laughs> chewing up the house. He's no idea how exciting his life is about to get. But uh, it's interesting you say that because you do a lot of very cool things. Um, but that is obviously something that's quite consistent in your life. And it's accessible to everybody mm. Mm, absolutely well not everybody has a dog but um the point is that you're walking in nature you just you're the reason for being for you in this instance is the fact you're taking a dog for a walk yeah i mean uh, pretty much every everything that i do and get the most enjoyment out of is is free mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know uh, just getting in the sea or hiking up a mountain or going for a skate going for a surf all of the all of the best things in life are free aren't they um but you know if you can incorporate um just being a little bit more aware listening to the bird songs listening to um well, looking at the the tracks and the signs as you go, then you get even more out of those experiences than you would before. So, um, yeah, best things in life are free, hey? <laughs> so to the second question, do you have a good example of how companies or people, in fact, are helping rebuild this this bridge or, or the, the connection um, with nature. We, we can talk continually about how mm. people are disconnected with nature. And I know it's actually quite a lot of the work that you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I run a, a sort of an outreach project um, and we work with predominantly schools and, and um, students um, and pupils, but we do some corporate work too. Um, and all of that is, uh, so it's called Creature and it's all about connecting people with um, big environmental issues and nature. And um, Did that spin off your kids' books? Was that is that how that developed? The kids' books? spun off creature oh it's the other way around yeah so so 
I had trained um, in environmental outreach. I'd, I'd trained as an education officer while I was at uni because uh, I worked at a local zoo um, to help pay off the fees. And um, uh, that that gave me a real insight as to how storytelling particularly can be such a useful tool mm-hmm. when it, it comes to engaging people in environmental topics or engaging them with wildlife or facts, anything that you wouldn't necessarily absorb or remember for, for quite a long time. If you can get a story around it um then it sticks in people's brains better so yeah the kids books um came at a time when I just set up Creature um in about 2013 2014 and I was going into schools and I was looking for a way of connecting kids to um plastic pollution and climate the reasons change to, to care and, and, yeah, and make a positive impact ab- on the planet absolutely yeah so so I'm still going with Creature and it's sort of grown from that and as per your question, um, in terms of one of the companies that I think are, are doing some great stuff, we've just partnered with uh, Mossy Earth, um, who I, I don't know whether you've heard of, but they're amazing. They um, they do carbon offsetting, which is why we work with them for our, our climate action events with schools. Um, but they go a bit further. And in terms of actually engaging their um, pupils and the schools that work with them, they... Um, you know, they can plant trees, but they also help in rewilding projects. They provide funding for other um, projects that, you know, you know how hard it is in the science world to get funding for important yeah. conservation, um, you know, getting tags, getting anything like that. So they, they do a whole spectrum of things. So it's not just the easy option, which you often see, and it really puts me off because I just, I sometimes feel like, are these funds really doing anything? Are they, well, anything, or are they potentially doing more damage than the good? Because it's not just about planting trees for for carbon sequestration, it's also what is the environmental impact of that? What land is it being used on? How does it change that ecosystem? But this example that you're giving is this is a holistic approach. Yeah, yeah. And as I said, it's not just trees. They also do things like, for example, for the World Surfing League, they um, offset one of those big events by creating a kelp forest. Okay. Um, So like helping, they they work with locals and they also use local native species when they do it. And they they plan their uh, projects out carefully between what is... you know the need for it at that time um but we're working with them with our schools and they go above and beyond because what they do is they provide updates um for the school so any school that that they work with us on they'll go back to the school and say look here's a photo of the trees that have been planted okay. and then a few months later here's the growth from a drone video and here's a walkthrough video and then should any of the schools want to actually go and visit the projects it's possible so it, it takes it just tangible rather yeah, than just it, oh yeah no, we did just, it. Yeah, yeah, tick in the box. Oh, that's been offset. It, it becomes an entire project that the school can then spin out from. Um, and they're great. They're, I mean, as I said, I'm, I'm using schools as an example because that's who at the moment we are doing these events for. But we are also uh, doing corporate events and they work with loads of companies too, um, which I think is so important. We are moving into a world where carbon neutral and carbon negative are such key words and very, very important aspects. And I think it's so important that you... Um, um, do the research to know who you're partnering with to, you know, offset that carbon. And if it, like you say, is it actually going to do more damage than good? Is it going to do? Because I, I also think there needs to be a lot more focus on the soils too at some point. Yeah, that's a big, I, I'm mm. still, it's it's one, it's a podcast that I've been meaning to try and arrange for a long time is to speak to soil scientists. I've covered a little bit with regenerative grazing. Yeah. Um, but just to do 
which maybe from the from the outside that's going to be incredibly dull. <laughs> a podcast on soils, but actually it, there is a whole other world would, below the surface. I uh, yeah, I've always wanted to do some uh, well I, I I can't say too much, but one of the future books I think is uh if it gets over the line anytime soon hopefully is going to cover something oh, on that. Yeah. Keep your eye out. Hey, hey. So next question, is mm-hmm. there a conservation story happening right now that you are particularly passionate about? Um, I mean, you're very passionate about a lot of things. I, I, know, I know from spending so, time with you, but can you, is there something in particular that you can things like, pull that out? I'd, I'd really love to go and cover. Um, yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, I'm generally attracted to the slightly more controversial areas. I, two things. No, I'd never guessed that. No, no. That's because, why we're down. That's why I'm down here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I'm kind of interested um, with that sort of crossover of where social media affects the uh, wild spaces that we have around the world and specifically certain species as well mm-hmm. um, because obviously we are exposed now to so much more in terms of people interacting with animals and that can be... You mean be... like physical interaction? Yeah, I mean yeah. like... So obviously having a background in sort of animal behaviour and animal welfare, I'll think a bit deeper into when I see somebody... For example, a diver on a video who's found a little octopus and they're... And now this has happened a lot recently, hasn't it? Because of... And it is an amazing documentary and a really stunningly beautiful story. But My Octopus Teacher, which everyone should go watch if they haven't seen it. Yes. But recently that's... That has been a catalyst for exactly what you're talking about. A hundred percent. I mean, we and that, and of course, in the world of shark diving, you see it all the time. People wanting to touch a shark, grab a fin. Do so why things. is this a problem? Well, all of these things can be very detrimental to the animals themselves that are involved, um, and you know that's that's an education awareness thing that that needs to get out there more. A lot of a lot of animal interactions, especially with wild animals where you're interfering with the behavior, you can be causing stress, you can be actually having a physical impact on them. Should you take something out the water or should you um, you know, really sort of mess with its behavior? Um, but then you have the problem with social media where everything is sort of exasperated because that one clip that maybe for, for some people would be like a biologist, for example, might see it and sort of think, oh, God, that's the worst thing ever. For anybody on the outside that doesn't understand what they're seeing, that then can go totally viral because of, unfortunately, the way of our algorithms and the internet before you have the opportunity to actually explain that this isn't good or this shouldn't be happening. Um, And it comes back down to my favourite quote, but the emptiest boxes make the loudest rattles. And unfortunately, it's very hard for people that have maybe a lot more knowledge in terms of the science world, but they don't, they're not natural communicators because they're not dedicating all their time to a social media platform. So their voices get, you know, washed away, unfortunately, by people with lesser knowledge. And and that can have a real negative impact. I mean, we see it all the time as well uh, with ecotourism. Um, I mean, you yourself, you you must have, have spent some time, you know, watching uh, certain migrations around Africa. And apparently if you turn the camera around at certain points, you'd be shocked at the amount of people and, you know, Yeah, I mean, it has, it has changed the behavior of a lot of the animals in those yeah, places. In, yeah, in so, many, in so many places around the world. So that's always something that I, I would love to go out and make something on that particular topic. Um, I know there's a host of specific stories, which I won't go into because I don't want to give them away. But yeah. yeah, it's always something I got one eye on. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting take on it because 
um, we are uh, there. You you read a lot about. I mean, that's the, kind of the purpose of a lot of these questions is trying to make people understand and reconnect with a nature in a society that really has disassociated itself with it. Because we live mostly in urban areas, but here is an instance where it's kind of gone too far because it's not about that kind of interaction. It's about appreciating wild animals in wild spaces and the environment around, but not screwing with the, the animals and how they would behave if we weren't there. Oh, it's, it's a very, in very... In an unnecessary way. A very te- delicate and tricky balance, right? Yeah. We want people to connect with nature, but then we have to take into account how many people there are on the planet. You know, how do you mitigate the fact that all these people then want to go to these wild spaces to see them and experience them because everyone should have the right to experience these amazing wild places. But how do you mitigate the impact of that when it happens? Um, And how do you protect certain places for the animals? Because in order to, you know, create this amazing um, connection between nature and people. People want to see nature. You know, we are monkey see, monkey do. We want to touch it. We want to get close to it. And as as we've just said, like that can have a, a big impact on the animals themselves. Even just like you can see it going through like somewhere like Yellowstone or anywhere where you know, it takes one or two people that just want to get that shot. They want that animal a bit closer, then they go and put some food down and then that's going to affect it. And then it happened, huge you know, it, it happened in the last 18 months. It happened with a really, I won't name him, but a really famous photographer got caught doing that. Mm. I think it was in Yellowstone. Yeah. And he was feeding coyotes, I think, uh, w- with clients Yeah, on like photography workshops. And that, that actually happens... I think if if the public understood the true extent of how, particularly photographers, it has to be said, like wildlife photographers, and this is obviously a very broad statement, but they, not as a group of people, but in terms of the the people doing it for for reasons and commercial reasons, manipulate wildlife to get what they want, they would be they would be utterly shocked. Yeah, if they really understood the extent of it. I mean, there's terrible things if you really delve into the world of social media and some of these viral videos. I mean, even if you get yourself caught on reels, unfortunately, you can flick through and it doesn't take long before you actually see some sort of animal abuse going through yeah. it. And, and from the outside in, you maybe wouldn't consider it to be, but then... The, when you start questioning, well, why is this animal stuck on top of this other animal? Because there's even issues with, you know, in certain parts of the world where they are, you know, taking things and gluing them on top of other things, like frogs really? on top of snakes. And I, yeah, I, this, this is news to me. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it, it's quite extreme, all for the shot and for, for, the, for the yeah for the picture. And yes. it, because it looks like how how on earth did that happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'd love to. So I guess the the moral of that story is if you're looking at that stuff, just maybe think a little deeper about what you're you're looking at. I often find myself, because of the algorithm, I mean, we're so controlled by AI without even realizing it. But uh, these things, you know, you find yourself liking one picture of a a cool interaction in a national park or, you know, oh, there's a really cute lion club. Didn't didn't mean to, but, you know, you spend a little bit longer on and it's got you. I know about the real hole it's yeah. terrible <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and and um you know i find myself sometimes when i come across these reels because 
what you're often looking at is something that's been shared so many times. You're not even looking at the original source. Mm. It's gone far bigger on other platforms that just exist to promote and share these things even further. Yeah. So then when you, I find myself looking through the comment, just kind of baffled as to how many people are too busy. Like, oh, this is so cute. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, I want one. Oh, I need this. I want that. It takes a while. It's a very small percentage that are like, this is wrong. You know, mm-hmm. you get so far down before you find somebody else that's sort of flagged. That's not natural. This shouldn't happen. This is probably a cause for concern. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, animal behaviorist, right? People are just animals to me. So then that's like a whole <laughs> extra study. <laughs> people watching is fun. Yes. <laughs> I'm talking of people. Is there um, a person who particularly, or a person or people who particularly inspire you in your in your line of work and the things that you're enthused and interested so in. many you you included um, don't say you're gonna make no, me blush no, no, I'm, a, I'm already red I'm already red from the sun yesterday I got burnt <laughs> fact of English 50, sun fact of 50 Byron <laughs> it's not even summer yet um, yeah I I I'm not really one of those people that that sort of follows celebrities or follows big names but I do um, really passionately. Uh, believe in the work that my friends are doing and I meet lots of people through my friends and that you know that network of people expands I'm quite an inquisitive person so if my friends sort of let on that they know of a a study or something I want to know 100 questions about it and yeah I think um, within my friendship group there's so many people that are inspiring me for so many different reasons Um, I guess just to give you an example Hannah um, Rutson or Hannah Med, you may know us, who is um, the founder of American Shark Conservancy out in Florida. I've known Hannah for years, um, and she, against all odds, um, is is working on a project with fishermen. So she um, basically goes out with great hammerhead fishermen um, who catch sharks for recreational catch and release, totally legal in Florida, happens all the time. It probably isn't going to go away anytime soon. Um, So accepting that, um, she's a scientist and wants to get data from that information to find out, you know, is there a way to do it better? Is there a way that you can um, ensure that the shark survives and um, thrives afterwards? Is there a different kit you can be using? Is there, and, and all of her work goes then to the policymakers directly and has a proper effect. You know, but in a, collaboration with the fishermen. In collaboration with the fishermen. Because the fishermen, you know, despite what anyone might think, um, don't actually want the sharks to die. You know, that is not the point of what they're doing. And and that means if they, they do, they can't continue doing the sport that they love doing. So they've been really great working with her. But, you know, in the first place, it was an, it was an industry that was under a huge amount of fire. It always is occasionally, depending on, you know, what practice is bad practice and that happens Um, but Hannah um, got a lot of criticism um, from people within the science world from shark divers why would you work with these people why would you help these people you know why are you going over to the dark side do you know what I mean which is madness because it it is one of those situations that's actually so necessary it isn't going away anywhere once you accept that that industry is happening um you know, until it gets banned, if it gets banned, should it get banned? Should it get banned? You know, all because of these are based now on opinions. That, though that relationship 
will then facilitate other science for the conservation this of these species. This is it. So, so for Hannah, the first thing was always um, catch and release mortality. Um, and I should admit, uh, sorry, I should also point out another reason she inspires me is because Hannah's not partnered with any university. It's totally independent study, which they've had to apply for grants and funding. Um, and it's a very small part you know, to go around for grants and funding for any kind of biological field work. And she, so they, they managed to get these sat tags out there all on their own, you know, with so much hard work, so many nights sleeping out on a beach with the fishermen, trying to build those trusting relationships to allow them. Essentially, all they do is the fishermen, when they go about their normal um, day to day, they'll call Hannah and let her know now because she's got a good relationship with them. If they're fishing, she'll rush down to the beach if they catch anything as they're getting the hooks out and doing whatever they need to do she'll rush in get a sat tag on the shark and that will pop off after two weeks i think it is um if um the shark's fine and swims off if anything happens and the shark sinks it pops off earlier and that gives them um information which can then be used to feed back to the fishermen for the fishermen to clean up shop in house if anything needs to happen um, or can just be really really useful for learning more about the shark ecology and behavior and and if um you know if they are at threat and so once they you know it's also skills and knowledge that you wouldn't want to be wasted right the the fishermen have because so how, much how would the so how how would the scientists interact and and tag and and track sharks to work that out if if they didn't have the vehicle to actually so capture the, the sharks in the first place, which is the yeah, fishermen? This is how the, does that work? This is the thing. So under the guise of science, um, if if scientists for the most part needed to set any tags, they're going to be fishing for the sharks anyway. Yeah, you know, but they but they don't have decades of they don't have experience doing it. Decades, it's not even decades; it's hours every year. You know, yeah. you you have to find funding to get on that boat. You have to find funding for the skippers. You have to find funding for the tags. You have to write all of that up. I mean, you you yourself know there's there's only so many days you can dedicate to field work. Yep. Um. Whereas fishermen, this is their life. This is where they spend their time. And this is where they excel. And it's it's something they love doing. It's something that they've been doing for years and years. It's gone down generations. So that wealth of knowledge, skill set, equipment, um, paired nicely with scientists uh, and people that can then pair that with policymakers and you know conservationists, even feeding right back to the people who maybe don't particularly like any of it but really care about the species because it yep. can add to that knowledge base. Um, yeah, I think I, I always am inspired by Hannah because she's been – um, somewhat of an underdog to begin with. You know, she didn't have this huge funding, this huge reputation in the science world, which quite often, you know, a lot of people within the shark world um, that do particularly well um, have have had those lucky breaks either on, on TV or have those lucky contacts that have a big pocket of money. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it's great to see people exceed and persevere even when they have, you know, not much to start with in the beginning. Um, and, and they're still coming up against a lot of controversy and a lot of um, negative attention. And they're still doing it because they passionately believe what they're doing is useful and helpful, you know. And, and I think that's, that's really inspiring for me. Um, it's so about the bigger your, picture. Surround yourself with people who inspire you. Absolutely. Which you seem to have done.
try, <laughs> I try my best. <laughs> uh, so to the last question, which is, is there a um, particular interaction with nature that you've had in your life so far that really stands out, that blew you away? Um, yeah. I mean, there's so many. For me, it's always the 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 ones that are unpredictable, the ones that you didn't see coming. Yep. Um, you know, because you can go out and like spend ages planning a trip, trying to see something very specific behavioral wise, and never get to see it, or or see a specific species, and you know, you might see it, but it it ends up not being the main thing about the trip. Um, so for me, I I was working as a grizzly bear guide out in Canada. Um, it was quite near the start of the season. I'd done all my training and um, just before the guests were going to arrive, we went for um, a, a barbecue basically on a rock because um, it's a bit difficult to, to to do any sort of like barbecue bry thing, you know, in inland in grizzly bear yeah. territory. You know, it's not quite where you want to be cooking all your meat. Yeah. Um, so it was you a... You might invite un, un, uninvited guests for, for lunch. Uh, yeah, you don't... Well, you, it's also the leftovers and the rest of it all becomes quite tricky um, just to leave no trace and not have any risk there. So we went to this... Um, it's like a little island rock in the middle of the inlet where we were, set up there, set a little fire going, had our sausages on a stick. We're all enjoying, you know, the start of the season, everything to come. We were about to watch an amazing sunset. Lo and behold, a fin appears right in front of us, then another fin and another fin, these huge black dorsal fins with white patches on and this amazing pod of orca appeared. Wow, how far from you? Uh, I think at, at the closest, probably about 15, 20 meters. Whoa, that close? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, they came insane. to check out what was going on and they lingered in the area. They were, they had two uh, younger calves there oh, and amazing. they were like fully breeding. I've never seen them. Have you not? No. Oh. We get them occasionally off the coast of Scotland, but I've never seen them. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're so elusive, right? Yeah. Um, so for us to have them there for probably about an hour at least, Magical. just feeding in front of us and then like fully breaching, um, yeah. doing all the behaviors that the SeaWorld trainers really are trying to train them up to do. They were just naturally doing it. They were just playing, you know, all the little calves jumping out and then their tail slaps and their fin slaps swimming around on the back. They were a whale <laughs> of a time, these giant dolphins but no it was amazing and it was totally unexpected and it was already you know one of those moments where you're fully appreciating your surroundings mm. you're appreciating nature you're content it, with a lovely like nowhere else in the world you'd want to be at that moment in yeah 100 yeah. and probably no barbecue that i'll ever go to that will uh top, top that yeah. maybe i don't know the you know still young <laughs> but it's a high bar yeah, it's very a high very bar. high yeah. bar yeah for sure well that's incredible that's going to top a lot of experiences. We gotta, we've got to hunt some down in Scotland, haven't we? At some point, that well, and the basking, basking shark. Well, I think basking sharks is infinitely easier to do. I think. Yeah. To go and swim around with some basking sharks, and, find, only, and I also don't really want to swim. With, I don't well, want to swim with orcas. I, yeah, no. I, I, yeah, me not so much I either. Have, I know. <laughs> to be honest, lots of people do, but I. I I've got yeah. some reserves. Yeah, I mean, so do I. I've watched them eat seals. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to be on that. And it's not even so much about the eating. It's more just like I don't bounce very well if I get thrown in the air, you know. <laughs> Actually, I saw I saw some footage. We were talking about it the other day, and I, th I think something that came up when I was looking at an Instagram reel. Um, 
probably 12 hours after we were talking about it was mm. an orca eating shark. Oh, really? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and you realize, because it was a great white, and you, re- well, I think it was, and you realize how big an orca is. The way enormous. When you see the shark sideways in its mouth, you're like, that yeah. shark looks tiny. Well, and I know that it's not. I it Just to me, like, a great white shark is the elite of the ocean. Yeah. They cannot be better adapted to that environment. You know, they are one of the top apex predators and they stand no chance whatsoever by these orca. I mean, there's a port and starboard, who I think we were chatting about, yeah. the, the ones in South Africa. Literally just drive them into the shallows, grab their pectoral fin, throw them over, make a little slit in the side of them and then sop up all that squalene out the liver and swim off, you know. And that that massive five-metre great white shark stands no chance whatsoever. What odds do you think we have <laughs> wearing our wetsuit and our fleshy fleshy little bodies? As You know, we, we know that we, we scratch very easily. Yeah. You know, if you walk past a thorn bush yeah. and that's broken our skin. So, yeah. They are remarkable, and I would love to spend some time. I've actually would just love to spend some time with uh, more marine mammals. Yeah, absolutely. I, I haven't done enough of it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, well, I think, I think I just have a really healthy respect for big predators as well. I think that that's a you know, aside from the Disneyland, um, wouldn't it be amazing to be really close to these things? For me, it's more just like. Wow, what big teeth you've got. Wow, how highly adapted you are. Oh, that's a keen sense of smell. You're you're a long way away and you've just turned your head to look at me. You know, yeah. um, I, I, for me, I'm in awe of all these adaptations. Uh, it's not something that I want to push the animal to explore my lack of adaptations more mm-hmm. if I can help it. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your living with nature with me. No worries. Um, it's been fantastic. And uh, I'm looking forward to finishing the story that we're busy working on, yes. which everyone will be able to read in the next volume of Modern Huntsman, which is coming out in the coming months. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Maybe there'll be some um, behind the scenes Byron surf skills appearing on my uh, Instagram <laughs> No, <soon> please well. <laughs> no. <laughs> next time. I need more time to get my skill set up. We'll sort it. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Thank you.